Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day. We have a great guest for you today. This is a uh, a good topic that we haven't really addressed or haven't really talked about, and I'm excited to get to that. Before we do, let me remind you, if you haven't already, go pick up your copy of The Successful Speaker. This is our new book that walks you through the five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platform. So if you want to know a step-by-step systematic process, this is my brain dump of everything you need to know about all things speaking, then go pick it up. Go check it out. Again, the book is called The Successful Speaker. Go find it at bookstores now. All right, so today we are talking with my friend Michael Bungay-Stanger, and uh, Michael is uh, does a lot in the as a keynoter, but also does a lot in the corporate training space. So this is something, again, we haven't really touched on, haven't really addressed. We cover a lot here about corporate training, which topics make the most sense, kind of the difference between positioning yourself as the product versus positioning the program as the product. Uh, we talk about who hires uh, corporate trainers, what's the, how do you do pricing for that, even some of the virtual options in the uh, the current climate that we've been in. So we have a uh, just a really fun conversation here. I think you're going to get a lot from this, some really practical stuff that uh, Michael walks through. So let's jump right into this conversation with Michael. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, joined by my friend, Mr. Michael Bungay Stanier. Stanier, there we go. You got it. I'm not even going to go. It was a momentary take. stumble. It no, was fine. We gotta, we push, you got to push through. You gotta it's push pushing through. through it. Look, I once got a letter addressed to Professor Michael Banging Spaniel. And quite frankly, having been called Banging Spaniel, pretty much nobody can do worse than that. So it's like, whatever approximately right is good enough the bar is high so, <laughs> exactly thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us we appreciate you sure. spending a minute with us uh, for people who aren't familiar with you give us kind of a nutshell of what your business looks like and how sure. speaking fits into the mix yeah so um, I founded a company called box of crayons nigh on 20 years ago you know when I started it was the classic solopreneur mix of anything <laughs> it's right. like you'll pay me for that I could probably do that right so it was a mix of facilitation and consulting and training and a tiny bit of speaking and um, over the years it's kind of grown and shifted box of crayons has ended up being a really classic learning and development company that's what it does it brings training into organizations. Um, I'm, I'm the former CEO. It's uh, six months ago. It was taken over by one of my colleagues, Shannon, who is first of all, far better CEO than I have ever been in my life. So she's amazing. Um, and she's also brought a discipline to the company that I am absolutely unable to bring to anything. Uh, so my speaking tends to be, um, brought in to open up a strategic client. Yeah. You know, we work for 
let's say my, Microsoft is one of our clients. We're yeah. putting lots of people through our training there. I'll come in and I'll speak at a big conference with thousands of people to kind of introduce stuff, get people going, get people engaged, and then the, the training team will come in and, and roll out the learning behind that. Interesting. Very good. Yeah. And so has that basically always been your model, um, more or it's, less? Well, I mean, honestly, for many years at Box of Crayons, we were a really small shop. It was pretty much me and a team around me. You know, I was the I was the product. Yep. So, um, I, I I would go in and I would either give a speech or I would run a workshop, or I'd have other people who I trained to run workshops for me. But I didn't really distinguish between run, giving a speech and and running a, a workshop, which is which is partly weird because it's just a different pricing model involved in it. You know, you can charge a lot more for a keynote even though it's you know, 60 minutes than you can for a one-day training program typically. And it was always confusing. We never quite figured that out. Um, and then over time, I was like, you know what? One of the things I've learned in trying to run a company is focus just really helps. And I'm not naturally inclined to focus. I'm a bit of a shiny object dude. Oh, look, there, <laughs> over there. Um, but um, this discipline of saying, okay, actually – we're not offering training on everything Michael knows something about, which is innovation and market research and strategy and communications and, and, and. Yeah. We are teaching people how to be more coach-like. That's the thing. How to stay curious a little bit longer. How to rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly. And four years ago, um, I wrote a book called The Coaching Habit, which went gangbusters in a very exciting way. So it's now sold close to three quarters of a million copies now. Congrats. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, it's exciting. Not least because uh, it got turned down by publishers, so I self-published it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who's feeling <laughs> smug now? I'm feeling <laughs> smug right now. I'm feeling pretty good about this. Um, That's awesome. And that, that, the success of that book brought more clients to Box of Crayons, and it required us to get even stricter about our business model, which is, Michael is dispersed occasionally as a speaker within the context of a bigger of a bigger contract that we're trying to win with our clients. Yeah, I'm really glad that you made that that kind of differentiation there because I think that uh, we get a lot of of speakers who come to us who have some of those questions around. Yeah. Uh, Am I selling me as the product or am I selling the company as a product under which I am part of that? And so there really is an important distinction there to think. There really is. So, you know, if you fast forward to today and what Box Crowns looks like, like you described there, there's a difference between, you know, are you hiring Michael or are you hiring Box of Crowns? And Michael happens to be one of the facilitators or one of the presenters there. That's right. And, you know, there, there was a decision I made early on, which was I was trying to grow the box of crayons brand rather than trying to grow the Michael brand. Yeah. Because I could, I could see scalable scalability issues as soon as if I was just trying to grow Michael at a certain point, you're like, I can't, I can only do so many things in a, in a year. Yep. I can only charge so much money in a year. Exactly. And it's less about the money for me, but it is about impact and it's about reach. Yeah. So right from the start, I had a conversation around, okay, if what needs to be true for me to be scalable? And it requires a whole bunch of work <laughs> that you don't quite realize when you're a speaker. Because when, at least my experience is when I was speaking and when I was running my own stuff, 
I'm pretty good on stage. I'm pretty good in the moment. And so it had a core to it. And then it had Michael's embellishments because I'm like, Hey, here I am. I'm, I'm working with the audience. I've thought of a funny joke. I'm going to try out. Right. <laughs> oh, here's something else I could teach you because it's interesting. I just read about it and here's a little aside. Yeah. Scaling means productization. So for, for me to build a company where I've got 20 people who can deliver programs, a whole bunch of stuff has to happen. Um, one is I have to codify what I do. Mm-hmm. So I have to write out what I do. I have to write out speaker notes. I have to shoot videos. I have to make content accessible to people so that they can see the path and they can walk the path. Right. Secondly, I've got to figure out what my standards are <laughs> because here's the thing that you happens when you watch somebody else deliver your content, you throw up in your mouth <laughs> <laughs> because they, because you have designed your content to be delivered b- by you. So nobody will ever do it as well as you because it's yeah. designed to play to your strengths and cover up your weaknesses and make you look good. Yeah. So, you have to get clear on what good enough looks like when it's not you delivering it. And it's a, it's a drop in standards. Right. Um, and it's not, and you need to try and find that place where it's like, it's as good enough for any clients or any participants, even though I can see how I would have done it a little bit better. Right. Then you've got to figure out how do you, what standard at which you want to bring in your other facilitators or your other program leaders? You know, is it, I'm, you need to be a mini Michael. You, mm-hmm. you just need to be me. Early on, I was like, that is a heavy burden to place on anybody. I mean, really, right. nobody wants to be anything like me in any way, <laughs> shape or form, even if they're getting paid for it. So part of what I'm then looking for is I'm like, I need to find the right type of person who has confidence in a room who has gravitas who has lightness but also has a personality that i can say to them look i want you to be a full expression of yourself because i know that that fits within a brand experience that i am looking to create right and then you've got to get to a sales process because what will happen is people call you up and go hey grant come and come and deliver this speech mm-hmm. and i'm like and grant goes right well, it's not me but my, 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 I've got somebody on my team, Michael, who I'd love to send along. Yeah. And they're like, mm, well, you know, I don't know. Who's Michael? Right, right. <laughs> Why would we say, hang on? I'm like, no, no, he's, he's, he's literally 30% cheaper than I am. And they're like, well, no, we don't care that much. You know, we really want you because you're the author, you're the name, you're the person. Yep. You're the creator. Yep. So now you've got to have a, a sales process that manages you out of, out of the conversation so that you become a an occasional person to come and speak rather than the default person. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, I tend to be a believer of if you're going to do it, you got to do it well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just half-assing it. And actually it, you tend to just waste people's time and money and your own time and money. And, you know, um, by committing to the business model that we've got, we're able to build a company that is, you know, it's like in the five to $10 million range of revenue, which you can't really get to if you're a solo speaker. Um, So there's, there's real upside. 
Yep. However, yep. you also have to build an infrastructure. Yep. So, you know, it, it, the burn rate at Voxel Crayons is, let's say if it's a, three, a $5 million company, the burn rate somewhere between 3 and $4 million a year, mm-hmm. which translates to um, like $300,000 a month. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember when I started my business and just the first year I cracked a hundred grand. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> right, right. I somehow, I by myself have right. managed to generate a hundred thousand dollars in revenue. This is extraordinary. I right. mean, honestly, all I need to do is keep doing this for the rest of my life and I've got a sweet, sweet life and right. that's true. But now I'm spending that almost per week to run a company. Yeah. So it, 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 you you really want to understand the prizes and the punishments of scalability because there are real prizes. There's real freedom. I mean, for instance, I can now step away from Box of Crayons, have it run by somebody else, and I have the deep satisfaction of watching that company be well-led, hopefully continue to flourish in these difficult times. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I've got some legacy there and know that it's employing 20 people who uh, have good lives because of the, the work that I help build and create. Yeah. But there's a, but there's responsibility that comes there as well. It, the whole concept kind of reminds me of like, it's the, it's choosing between like, do you want to run a restaurant where you as the chef are kind of the star of the show, or do you want to franchise knowing that there's one of you and you can't be at every restaurant and there's not, it's not that necessarily one's better or worse than the other. They both have right. pros and cons. But you making the conscious decision of if I do one restaurant, then I can, I can control every part of that restaurant. But if yep. I have other restaurants and I can only be one place at one time, then I got, like you said, I got to codify it. I really got to put some systems and processes. And you totally do. And I see, you know, I see a lot of speakers dabbling with the idea of maybe I could find some other people to come and run some of my programs some of the time. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and it rarely works. I mean, I'm thinking of Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek has a, a small team of people who go and deliver the Simon Sinek speech for them. But I think he is, he's a rare person who's actually figured out going, we've figured out ways of selling that. And I think it's because he's got speaker bureaus who sell for him who go, we're, we're desperate to sell a Simon Sinek product and he's in high demand. So we've yeah. got enough, we can pull that off. Yeah. But most people who dabbled haven't succeeded because it's hard to succeed with this if you're just kind of doing it a little bit. Well, it also seems like uh, a big variable and factor is the industry that you're in and who it is that you or what it is that you speak about, what's the problem totally. to solve. Because there's going to be corporate training topics that seem to lend themselves better than to to to, to this industry than others. So That's how right. have you kind of figured out if, you know, for someone who may be listening going like, okay, I know what my core thing is. Yeah. Uh, and I think this would work in a corporate training environment. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to figure out like, is there, is there legs to this um, yeah. or, or not? Yeah. It's a really great question because the people who buy keynotes are not the people who buy learning and development solutions. They're just, they're very different people. Yeah. Even if they're working in- and actually, an or- let, me, let me jump in real quick. For people um, who aren't clear, can you kind of define what the difference would be between like a keynote, a workshop, yeah. and like a, a corporate training? Because I even for sure. myself, like I'd never, I never came from a corporate background at all. Sure. So I have never sat in on a, yeah. as a participant to know like, what are the real differences between corporate training versus a keynote or workshop or what we would typically think of as, uh, you know, a gun for hire speaker? So I'd say there are three three broad opportunities. 
Um, the first is keynote. Mm-hmm. Somebody calls you up and goes, we're running a conference. It's a, it's a, it's a company conference. We've got 3000 of our salespeople coming in or it's our HR team is flying in or, you know, there's a crowd of people that are in the room for some reason. And in amongst the corporate topics that need to be talked about, cause we need our leaders to give an update and we need a new strategy to be shared and we need an update on diversity inclusion. We're going to get some external speakers to add a little kind of magic to it. Yeah. And um, depending on the, the theme of the conference, you know, if you're a sales guy, you'll, you'll come in. If you're a marketing guy, you'll come in. If you're a leadership person, you'll come in. Uh, it, you'll, you'll be matched to the type of conference and theme of the conference that they're after. Yeah. And they're pretty much a uh, great, come on in. I, I run a conference. I'm, I'm curating the experience. I've got a budget of X grand to pay for speakers. You're one of them. I give you my brief. You come in and you do your, your speech. Right. You, you mentioned the name of my company at the start and at the finish. So it feels customized. And then you walk off and your work here is done. Yep, yep. And, um, and you probably don't hear from them again. Right. There's your, there's your keynote speaking model. Really clean, transactional. If you're if you're in demand, super lucrative. You know you can run a definitely a six figure and some people a seven figure career on that with a yep. you know with you an admin assistant and not much else. So it's yep. fantastic if you can pull it off. Then there is um, ad hoc training requirements and. Within an uh, organization, there will be people who have a budget to train their team. So somebody's running a small sales team in Winnipeg, and they're like, ah, I like my team. What do we need? Oh, we need stuff around communications because we're okay, but we need that. Or maybe a Myers-Briggs profile or maybe coaching skills or who knows, something. And they'll basically cast around and they'll do some Googling and they'll come across perhaps a local training provider who will go – yeah, I, sure, I can do that. And they go, great, we've got a small budget or we've got a, a decent budget. And you come in and you do a bit of work with them. And if you're lucky, you maybe get called back another few times. If you're lucky, somebody somebody hears about you in the same organization and goes, hey, I heard you did a session for Joanne. Sounds really good. Could you come and do it for my team as well? Yeah. And then you get a little bit of... Uh, uh, ability to engage within that organization. Um, if you've got a, if you're a good salesperson, you then work that and work it and work it. You're like, who can you introduce me to? And you kind of find a way of trying to get throughout that organization as best you can, but it's ad hoc and it's dependent on individual teams, um, or business units having pools of money set aside for training. Right. Right. Then the third option is enterprise say uh, enterprise L&D. So this is the team that's responsible for bringing training and putting it throughout an organization or throughout a big chunk of an organization. So, uh, you know, here in Canada, uh, some years ago, we got called in by the enterprise learning team for TD Bank, one of the four big banks here. And they're like, great, we need these coaching skills and we need everybody at a certain level in the bank to go through it. doesn't matter if you're in retail banking or wholesale banking or investment banking, all of the people at this level need to have that because it's part of how we build a culture across our organization. Mm -hmm. 
And these are the contracts that are the bigger contracts, more lucrative, harder to sell. <laughs> they take longer to, the sales cycle is like somewhere between six and 12 months yeah. um, or longer than that. Um, you're, you're now negotiating with procurement as part of that organization whose only job is to try and squeeze you until you squeak. So procurement don't get involved if you're just a sales team hiring somebody trainer because it, it's too small. Yeah. But if you're like, um, if this is now a six or a seven figure training budget, they're, 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 they're managing it at that enterprise level. Um, there are all sorts of stakeholders who you go up and down the chain because the head of something rather has to sign off on it and the head of something else has to sign off on it. Um, but then if you're, um, if you get that signed, there are then three different delivery models that happen as part of that. One delivery model is you show up with your trainers and you deliver the programs and um, that can be great. It requires you, though, to have a bunch of trainers <laughs> um, and who can deliver at your standard. There was a, a moment where a, a company called us up and went, we found out about you. You're amazing. We're doing this big conference. Come out because we'd like to try you out. We need you to run 15 concurrent sessions in Vegas. <laughs> We're like, this is amazing because this is a, this is a, a one day gig yeah. that will get us more than a hundred thousand dollars and American dollars of that, which as a Canadian, you get quite excited about. <laughs> but then I'm like, wow. Okay. We, we have more than 15 trainers on our books, but they're not all available. They're not all in the States. And there was a bunch of scrambling behind the scenes to make sure that we could deliver against our promise there. Yeah. But that's, that's one delivery model, which is you go in and you bring your people with you and you do the training. The second delivery model is train the trainer. So that's where you go, right, I'm coming in and I'm going to train your learning, your facilitators to deliver my model for me. So there's a combination of licensing. They pay a licensing fee for every person that they train plus a training fee for you uh, bringing their people up to speed. And often enough, that model will have some time limitations on it, which is like your training is good for two years. Yeah. Um, or thirdly, you can do a straight licensing deal, which is most common with if you've codified your training in some way, so it's a virtual training or it's online training. And they're like, we're just going to give you the assets and we're going to figure out a price and you're going to pay us that price and then you're responsible for putting it through the organization and what we do is we collect the check from you. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious then, um, I got several questions, but one would be, so going back to, you mentioned like the different models in terms of the, the keynote, the ad hoc, yeah. the enterprise, it yeah. sounds like you have kind of walked those stairs yourself. Oh, you totally. As a keynote, then started doing more ad hoc, now do some enterprise stuff. Uh, and so it's kind of evolved that way. And so it also sounds, and, and so even on the, then on the three delivery options, um, are you doing all of those three? Are you mm -hmm. doing one of those three or what does that look like today? Yeah. So the evolution of box of crayons, it started off um, being kind of keynote and ad hoc. Mm -hmm. Then we won our first enterprise claim, which was the TD Bank, which is super exciting and, yeah. and was three or four years of a really rich relationship, both kind of financially lucrative 
but also it's like we're we're shifting a culture and that was really exciting for yeah. us um th- two years ago as shannon took over being or kind of moved into this leadership role at box of crayons we figured out that our model, which was based around we can we can do ad hoc and it's nice when enterprise lands, it meant that we'd actually built a, we had to build a really big infrastructure to cope with it. Because in you know in our final year of doing these kind of ad hoc um, sales, we had 160 clients in a year. Mm. Some of them running one workshop, some of them running five, some of them running a hundred. And it just basically made our head explode because there's so many logistics <laughs> for managing 160 different clients. We have to send materials there. We have to send program leaders out. We have to manage contracts. Mm-hmm. And basically, the business model broke at a certain stage. It scaled up, and then it, it, it was great for many years, and then it just broke. Yeah. So... Box of Crayons now has a really clear focus on enterprise sales only. So we're transitioning away from the other stuff. And this is the power of focus, which is like, right, they're now rebuilding Box of Crayons in a way that serves enterprise. And then you ask that great strategic question, what needs to be true so that we can serve an enterprise, you know, a Fortune 100 company? Yeah. Well, for instance, you need to have somebody who is really good at contracts. The contracts that speakers use are just laughed. You know, they're just laughed at if you're trying to negotiate at an enterprise level because they're giving you a master service agreement of, you know, 70 pages. And you need somebody who is really good with contracts. And you need somebody who is really good with finances because now actually you need to understand the profitability your profitability models on everything when you're a keynote speaker you're like look i charge x thousand dollars i'm profitable because <laughs> right. i don't have that many expenses <laughs> and i don't even really need to figure out my profitability it just is what it is yeah um now if you've got an enterprise and you're like you've got a, a, a burn rate of x thousand dollars per month you've got to know how your money works yeah so and then for us, we've got all three of those models playing out, um, some licensing deals, which are hard to get, are very profitable because once you have a pure licensing play, when they pay you the money, it's pure profit basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, but also require you to have to work really hard to maintain the relationship because it can, it can become quite transactional quite fast. They're like, we're giving you the money and you're going, you're giving me the money. <laughs> And you actually want it to be more than that. Right. And train the trainer. Um, you know, all of these models have pros and cons. You know, yeah. train the trainer is like you build, you get a relationship, but you lose some of the quality assurance because you're like, are they as good as I want them to be? Yeah. How do I renew their licensing? How do I make sure that they're not running stuff and not paying me for it? So yeah, you got you got all three of those models playing out. What, uh, all right, I want to come back full circle to where we, we started. Yeah, I, I'm I, throwing a lot of people no, here. No, this I'm is like, great. Just, this is so great. Yeah. Um, and I derailed us. But uh, going back to the question of what topics work well in a yeah. corporate environment. Well, I think, um, first of all, you've got to understand which of those three you're after. Because Keynote and Ad Hoc has a, have a much broader range of topics that might be of interest. Because, you know, let's say you talk about conflict management 
all teams could do with some training on conflict management. Right. Let's say that you're a little more eclectic and you're on, I don't know, uh, let's say you're a, you're a, an Olymp- ex-Olympic athlete and you're kind of motivational around resilience and focus and high performance. Yeah. Then all, all teams are probably interested in that and you, you're great at a conference because you're like, oh, you're the guy who won a gold medal doing that thing. It's amazing. I feel inspired. Or right. you're, you, know, you walked up Everest even though you don't have limbs and you're blind and whatever it might be. You're like, right. you're inspiring. But that stuff is less useful at an enterprise level because at an enterprise level, they're basically saying, we care about two things. We care about how are we focused on the right things and when are we making money? Mm-hmm. Uh, or three things. The first is, are we compliant? So if you teach something that is like, you've got to do this or else you're breaking the law, that's an ongoing sell at an enterprise level. Mm-hmm. The second is, are we helping people focus on the right things so that they're having the impact? And the third is, are we keeping our people engaged in the right way so that we have the best people showing up fully? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I would suspect that if you, if you currently speak on a particular topic, you'll already have a sense of how enterprise appropriate your topic is because you'll have been in conversations with people if it is enterprise interesting and nobody will have approached you if it's not. You touched on this earlier that the decision makers for, uh, for keynotes versus ad hoc or even enterprise are all slightly different. So what does it typically, we talk a lot on the show here about who the event planners are and the decision makers in the, the keynote space. What does it typically look like for the ad hoc and the enterprise? Who's, yeah. who's making the decision? Who are you, who are you talking to? So in the ad hoc, you're typically, it's the, it's the team lead or often it's the executive assistant of the team lead mm-hmm. and the team lead has some budget. They've been given, you know, it's trickled down and they've got X thousand dollars to spend on training for their team for the year. And so there, there aren't really any standards that they have to meet. So often they're like, you know, they're calling up their mate going, do you know anybody who does this? And they're like, yeah, I think my friend does it. He lives up the road. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you get this person coming in. So you will have a buyer who um, is a buyer just in, in, because of their, their position on the team. Yeah. Um, if you're selling in an enterprise, then, you, then you're selling into the head of learning and development or the head of organizational development or sometimes the head of HR. And they're, they're the people who typically would control the training budget the training person often reports into head of HR or head of OD or head or head of learning and development. So um, yeah, at the enterprise level, you're you're typically, you've got an economic client who's, who's your buyer. And then you've got a kind of practical client who's your day-to-day person who's helping you run, run the thing. You've got a, you've got a much more complex ecosystem to, to think about. Yeah. Can we talk about pricing for a second? Because mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, there's a bunch, it seems like there's a bunch of different ways to price this. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, are you pricing this by the person or by the program or by yeah. the length of the program or the number of programs or, you know, yeah. uh, licensing? And I, my sense would be, it's probably similar to when people ask, you know, how much should I charge for a keynote? And the answer is like, it depends, but <laughs> yeah, I exactly. get that that's a horrible answer and all the variables that go into it, you know? So what are the different variables and factors or some of the different models that, that people should be considering? Yeah, I mean, it's you. You kind of have to 
do your own research about what the range is in your topic, in your area. You have to think about your brand positioning. Are you high end? Are you medium? Are you low end? Right. Um, because there's, you know, there's a model of, in the learning and development stage where like I'm putting people through $99 a day training, mm-hmm. but, it's, but it's scaled. So I'm trying to train uh, 500,000 people a year <laughs> and I'm making that m- a bit of money off them and it's fast, it's furious, it's replicable, it's probably a bit mediocre, yeah. but it's basic. And... You know, you can, and then there are people who charge huge amounts of money for for training. Um, you know, kind of in that. It depends on on the size, but you can you can charge anywhere from. I mean, not literally, a day's training can be anything from three thousand dollars to sixty thousand dollars, depending on the program and the level of the people coming on the program. You know, it's that sort of weird thing. It's like, okay, you got senior vice presidents of a big company coming. Yeah. I don't want to come on a program that costs three thousand dollars a day. That's an insult. Yeah. They're like, they're 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 too important for that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, unless yeah. you're charging sixty thousand dollars a day, it's clearly not of the right caliber. So you get into that just irrationality of pricing. Yeah, and it's the same with licensing as well. I mean, n- nobody really knows how to how to price licensing i mean i'm sure some people do but as far as i can tell it's a you're you're feeling your way into it you've probably got a range you're sounding them out you're trying to guess how many people are going to go through the program you're trying to guess what their budget is for the next three years because you're trying to strike a three to five year deal with them so it's 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 i'm afraid it isn't it depends it's it's a hard thing with the pricing do you uh, do you always price by the pro- or more or less always price by the program or do you ever price per head? Uh, I, I would never recommend the per head approach on keynotes, but in, in yeah. this type of approach, it seems yeah. uh, I've heard otherwise. Uh, what have you found? Yeah, we we price on the program um, when we're selling programs, but if for train the trainer or for licensing, it's on a per head basis. Okay. And is there, is there an ideal number of participants you would want in a uh, in a, a workshop, a training, a session? Um, that is another. It depends piece. Yeah. It depends on the. the it, it, there's just so many factors around that, which is like: is your are you teaching technical skills or behavior change skills? Are you is it all hands-on and low-tech or are you sitting people in front of a laptop and you're just facilitating them through screens on a laptop? Yeah. Some stuff is scalable. Some stuff is not. Our stuff is soft skills, so-called, and very interactive. And we want our facilitators to be in touch with the people. So we cap ours at 20 people in the room. Gotcha. And we have a minimum as well. We have a minimum of 12 because we want a critical mass in the room that makes it work. Got it. Interesting. Uh, you kind of touched on mailing resources. What kind of stuff are you sending ahead that um, would be materials for the, yeah. as part so of the we, program? It's, it's again, you kind of uh, make your own rules here, but we send people uh, worksheets, which we've designed, um, cards, which are kind of training, training guides. Um, and we used to send people copies of my book, but we stopped doing that now. 
Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Let me shift gears and let me ask you this. We, at the time of this recording, we are in the thick of this uh, coronavirus stuff. Mm-hmm. Now people may be listening to this deep into the future, <laughs> right? Right. Um, uh, and so where, where all of a sudden, suddenly people are not necessarily working in offices, things are closed mm-hmm. down. Who knows at this point how long this is going to last or what kind of long-term effects this is going to have. But everything that we've, we've covered and talked about thus far, can corporate training be done in a virtual environment? Oh, it can, and it is, and has been for years. Um, can it be done really badly in a corporate environment? A big tick. Yep. <laughs> that's, been, that's been thoroughly proven. We have lots of case studies around really underwhelming distributed or virtual training. Yeah. You have basically um, two models. One is a um, virtual in real life training. So think of a series of, of facilitated webinars. Yeah. Um, you know, we've taken half day, our half day programs and gone, it's four 75 minute programs spread out over two months. Yeah. And there are pros and cons of that because our stuff is about trying to create behavior change for people to be more coach like, um, actually spreading it out over time allows people to have structure that makes them practice and report out so it can be actually helpful. Um, but you also then get uh, only 80% of people showing up for the different webinars because something comes up. So pros and cons. Right. Um, you can then do a, um, uh, online program that is cohort based. So you effectively say, all right, we've got a bunch of you together go, you've got five weeks to make your way through the five different modules of this program. And quite often you'll have facilitators there who are basically moving stuff along. They're keeping an eye out for the technical issues. They're answering questions. They're prompting conversation amongst the participants. They're playing that role of attendant, kind of moving along, making them getting the stragglers out. So they're getting their stuff done. Or you can then do a classic just evergreen program, which is, uh, here it is, it's entirely self-directed. You sign in, you get to the end of it, nobody really knows how you did, there's not a whole lot of interaction. Um, And there's a place for all of those types of of learning. I mean, it's a, for instance, if you are, if you're, if you're on a supermarket, it is self-directed learning is perfect for onboarding a cashier. You're like, yeah. we're going to take you through how to, how to cash people out or we're going to take you through how to fold shirts if you work in the gap. Yep. You don't need somebody to do that. You've got an a, a iPad and you can have somebody showing you that and you can practice it and you can go, tick, I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to learn coaching skills, you need more of a hands-on experience around that. Yeah, interesting. Very, very good. Uh, Michael, we really appreciate the time. This has been really good. People can't, uh, no, people can't see it right now, but... Uh, I've got the coaching habit, say less, ask more, change the way you lead forever. If people want to find the book, uh, first of all, give us the nutshell. I know we kind of danced around it, but uh, the, the book is kind of the, the core thing that you are teaching on via the, the corporate training. Yeah. Uh, so what, what, what is uh, the, the book, book is the, the source of some of the IP that Boxer Crowns uses. So the coaching habit came out four years ago and it's like, look, I'm trying to unweird coaching. Yeah. Here are seven good questions and here's the science of how to make it into a habit. And then I had a new book come out about a month ago called The Advice Trap. And that said, look, turns out for some people, knowing the seven questions is all you need. But for other people, this quest to be curious a little bit longer is harder than you'd think. Yeah. So the, the Advice Trap takes you into 
what it takes to shift your behavior. And the key message of the advice trap is, let me show you how to tame your advice monster. Interesting. Very cool. Are you, are you turning that into its own corporate training program? Uh, you know, what, I mean, this is one of those interesting conversations. What box of crayons wants, it wants to not, it wants to use my IP, but it wants to use it in a way that's disassociated from me because otherwise it gets complicated. Yep. And disassociated from the books because we don't actually want to be tied to Michael's books as the, this gives you the shape of the programs. So they're doing a whole bunch of work around that just to um, uh, um, figure out what, how they use IP. So that's been the ship, one of the shifts for Boxy Crayons, which is we're less now about selling programs. This is the transition that they're in at the moment and more about going, we have units of IP. How do we combine those in a way that then becomes sellable to our clients? Interesting. Well, again, Michael, this is really, really fascinating. Good stuff. We appreciate the time. Again, if My we pleasure. want to find out more about you, find out more about uh, Box of Crayons, where, where can we yeah. go? So Box of Crayons is boxofcrayons.com and that's the enterprise uh, training. Um, as part of me spinning off from Box of Crayons, I've got a new website called mbs.works and there's a sorted online training and books and other bits and pieces there as well. Very good. Thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, I would encourage you to check out Michael's books. You can find out all of his stuff uh, over at mbs.works. Got to make sure I get that right. Uh, check that out. And then also check out boxofcrowns.com, his corporate training site there. Uh, but again, Michael really knows his stuff when it comes to this uh, the corporate training stuff. And again, check out his books. Great stuff. Uh, hey, uh, while you're checking out his books, don't forget to check out The Successful Speaker. Again, five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platform out everywhere. Go pick it up. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.